Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hey there, this is Brittany Luce from NPR's It's Been a Minute. KQED's podcasts like The Bay, Bay Curious, Mind Shift, Right Nowish, and more all tell the stories of the Bay and beyond with reliable, human-centered journalism. They aim to inspire, make you think, entertain, and expand your understanding of the place you call home. Here's how you can support podcasting at KQED. Showing your support is easy, and you can join Brittany in supporting KQED Podcast too at donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. From KQED. From KQED Public Radio in San Francisco, I'm Mina Kim. Coming up on Forum, after violent supporters of President Trump stormed the U.S. Capitol, Americans are processing the chaos and lawlessness that unfolded. Some are questioning the lax response from police, as well as galling discrepancies between the treatment of Black Lives Matter protesters and pro-Trump extremists. The incident is also sparking calls for a second impeachment of Trump, who invited the rioters to Washington, D.C. In this statewide call-in special, we look at the fallout from yesterday's violence and get your reactions. Join us. Welcome to special statewide coverage from KQED Forum. I'm Mina Kim. Whether Californians were surprised or not that a violent mob incited by the president could threaten democracy and breach the walls of the U.S. Capitol, for many, the chaotic images of yesterday were still painful to watch. Lawmakers forced to shelter in place, some with gas masks on, windows, guns drawn in the House chamber, a lone black police officer being chased up the stairs, a delusional man on the Senate dais yelling, Trump won the election. In this hour, we look at the impact of yesterday's events and where we go from here. And you can join the conversation by calling 866-733-6786. Again, 866-733-6786. You can also reach us on Twitter or Facebook at KQED Forum or email us at forum at kqed.org. And joining me first is KPCC's political reporter, Libby Dankman, who spent the day yesterday trying to reach California lawmakers to make sure they were safe. Libby Dankman, thanks so much for joining us. Hi, Libby, are you there? And while we wait to hey, connect... Mina. Oh, thanks. there you are. Sorry about that. You know, <laughs> no the, problem. the Zoom world where we have everything muted, but yes, I'm here. Yeah, well, I'm glad you are. And I was just saying that, you know, just this thought of you having to reach California lawmakers to make sure that they were safe, that that's what you had to do yesterday is kind of mind blowing. You know, it was a question that I never thought I would have to ask is every member of the California delegation in a safe place? Are they sheltering in their offices? Uh, some were sheltering um, in the House gallery, in fact. Um, you know, I spoke to members who started the day uh, arriving at work thinking that 
security was uh, relatively relaxed, that things uh, were going to get heated in terms of uh, protesting outside the Capitol. But many said when they arrived at work, they got into their offices or to the House floor relatively easily. And that sort of calmed their nerves about the day ahead to certify the election. Um, But quickly, as the day wore on and as the debate over the Arizona certification, um, you know, continued, there was uh, an evacuation of the number of house buildings and offices. Uh, The Cannon House office building had to be evacuated because of a reported IED. Um, And then rapidly, the Capitol Police began locking down the actual Capitol building, closing the doors of the uh, chambers of each Senate and House chamber. And, um, you know, folks had to really take shelter wherever they could, which was something that was just unimaginable in um, in in their daily uh, work. And which lawmakers did you speak with and what did they tell you? So Jimmy Gomez from East and Northeast L.A. had the most harrowing story, and he was actually pinned down in the House gallery, which is the upper level that uh, kind of overlooks the House floor. He had been um, there with some members of the media and other members of Congress, and he describes this really alarming, uh, uh, you know, the, the seeing the Capitol Police trying to barricade the door. And you can you can listen to him talk about that. Great. Let's hear it. And I could see the police moving the desk, moving this big red bench to barricade. And we heard them breaking windows, trying to get in. I looked up a little bit, but we were just trying to keep our heads down just in case any shooting started. You hear glass breaking and you hear people yelling and you hear just this buzzing of these gas masks. And it's just a, a surreal experience. A real experience. That's definitely something that I also heard lawmakers say here in Northern California. Also, you spoke with Nanette Baragan, member of Congress representing parts of LA and Long Beach. Let's hear what she had to say as well. It makes me angry that we are at this point and that it has come to this. We have his supporters terrorizing members of Congress and staff uh, to try to stop this process. I'm angry. I'm sad. And, and frankly, until we get to uh, a green light that we're secure, I'm a little scared. I mean, Libby Dankman, I'm a little scared. How are lawmakers feeling today? Yeah, Nanette Barragan was in uh, one of her offices and uh, looking out on the street to see the progression of how security was clearing the Capitol and whether or not she would ever you know, be able to get out of that office. Um, you know, today we heard from Ted Liu, who's a member of the Judiciary Committee, and he is circulating along with a couple other members articles of impeachment against the president. And you heard again and again the uh, Democratic members that I spoke to really laid this at the feet of President Trump for whipping up this fervor, this hysteria with his supporters, and sending this rally, this crowd of people who had shown up to see him in the morning over to the Capitol to. Uh, incite this kind of violence. And, uh, you know, Ted Lieu is uh, joining this effort to try to impeach the president for a second time. Uh, Of course, you know, this has been done before. The Senate acquitted him. And there's only a few weeks left in the term. Other members invoked the 25th Amendment and questioned whether the cabinet and whether Vice President Pence would get on board in light of the violence we saw yesterday to try to remove the president. 
Yes, I uh, was struck by a comment that Representative Judy Chu uh, gave to Politico, where she basically said, I really question actually President Trump's mental state. If I were a member of the cabinet, I would invoke the 25th Amendment to remove him. You have some tape as well of Judy Chu. Let's hear that now. He got them to the point of hysteria so that they actually stormed the Capitol and caused violence. So this president has to accept responsibility for this, and this president has to stop this. We also heard statements from Republican California members of Congress saying that this was abhorrent, that this was terrible, that this was completely un-American. Can you talk about where they're at today? Sure. There is a split in Republican members of the delegation. You have members like Young Kim, a freshman from Orange County, the 39th district, who uh, decided ahead of time, ahead of the Electoral College certification, that she would not uh, support the challenge that other members of her party were going to lodge against the count and the declaration of a winner. She said that the Congress has no place in uh, supporting or or trying to overturn an election. Now, she, of course, also condemned the violence and said, this is not the America that I came to and, and raised children in. Um, but then you have this other uh, side of the California delegation, and that includes Kevin McCarthy, who is, uh, you know, part of House leadership. You have the uh, members like uh, freshman Mike Garcia in Santa Clarita and the Antelope Valley. They have supported this challenge and um, also, of course, condemned the violence that occurred yesterday, but they also voted to support um, uh, the challenge to the Electoral College vote. And, um, you know, there's a stark contrast between the members who uh, decided to vote in favor of the challenge. There were seven members from California and the other California Republicans who decided, um, you know, that that wasn't the place of the Congress. Well, Libby Denkman, thanks so much for your reporting, for the voices that you shared with us today. Libby Denkman, senior politics reporter for KPCC. Really appreciate having you on. Thanks, Mina. Joining me now is Marisa Lagos, politics correspondent for KQED and co-host of KQED's Political Breakdown Show. Hi, Marisa. Thanks for talking with us. Morning, Mina. Thanks for having me. Also with us, Amy Allison, founder of She the People, an organization elevating the political voice of women of color. Amy Allison, glad to have you on. Good morning. Also, Jessica Levinson is with us, professor of law at Loyola Law School and host of the podcast, Passing Judgment. Jessica Levinson, good morning. Good morning. So, Maurice, I want to start with you, and I know you've been looking into the police response. There have been a lot of questions raised about what happened. And, you know, just before we get into that a little more deeply, I also want to remind listeners that one of the things that did happen was there was a woman who was shot and killed in the melee, and uh, we understand she is from San Diego. Yes, uh, this uh, person has been identified as a, a, a military veteran, uh, somebody who has posted online um, as a, a supporter of QAnon, the conspiracy theory. Uh, Ashley Babbitt is her name. She hasn't actually officially been identified by authorities, but um, her family has said that they believe it is her who was shot, and she was part of the group who broke into the Capitol um, and was, I think, attempting uh, to break into one of the chambers at the time. You know, we've been hearing that this was the first time that the U.S. Capitol has been breached 
since the War of 1812. And if anybody, anyone who's been there knows just how hard it is to get in through those hallways, you need special passes, there are metal detectors and so on, lots of security. So how did it get to the point where a mob of people was able to do this? I think that is going to be the uh, focus of several investigations, including by uh, the Capitol Police themselves and probably Congress. I mean, look, Mina, you know, we've both covered protests. We've seen these things unfold. Um, usually what you would have is a kind of early response anticipating something like this. And, you know, I spoke to people uh, in law enforcement, including the DA in Los Angeles, George Gascon, a former police chief, um, as well as others who have, you know, been on both sides of protest, whether law enforcement or protesting. And I think what's really remarkable is just the, the, the seeming lack of preparation by the Capitol Police and the lack of mutual aid that, that they, you know, just didn't ask for ahead of time. I mean, to me, the fact that this mob was able to even get onto the Capitol steps uh, indicated that they were very much unprepared. And, and we have seen videos that appear to show Capitol Police opening uh, gates and, and allowing people in, helping a woman down the stairs as they exited the Capitol. Um, you know, I, I, it just... It, it, it doesn't all add up. And I think, I mean, I think there's two things at play here, right? There's one, why wasn't there a better response? Um, I know the mayor of, of DC this morning was talking about the fact that they're not a state and so they don't, she does not have the authority herself to call in the National Guard. Um, but I think that the preparation before it got to that point is really questionable. And then I think the individual actions of Capitol Police who, you know, obviously some deserve um, a, a lot of praise for protecting members and, and, and doing valiant things as their police chief said this morning, but there are videos of others who seem to be like joking around with the, the rioters uh, who seem to be, you know, like I said, opening doors. And, and the fact that even after several hours of them breaching the Capitol, they didn't have the backup to a rest and book people. They simply let people walk away. Um, I mean, just way more questions than answers. And, and I think a lot of people are saying, you know, Mina, like, this harkens to all the questions we have about white supremacy and, and its place in our police force in this country. Well, we want to hear from you, our listeners, about your reactions to yesterday's attack on the Capitol. You can call us 866-733-6786. Again, 866-733-6786. Get in touch on Twitter or Facebook at KQED Forum. Email your questions to forum at kqed.org. More after the break. I'm Mina Kim. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. You're listening to a special call-in statewide special from KQED Forum. We're talking about yesterday's attack on the Capitol, and we're joined by Marisa Lagos, Jessica Levinson, Amy Allison, and you, our listeners. Let me take a call from Anthony in San Jose. Hi, Anthony. Hello. Yeah, uh, thanks for my, taking my call. I, You know, in, in discussing the uh, actions or inactions of the D.C. police, first of all, they were obviously unprepared, and you have to question why they were unprepared, but uh, my main point, and I'll try to be brief here, 
is um, I watched three and a half hours of CBS News uh, live coverage of the event, and it focused a lot on the police. And I want to call people's attention to the position of the police billy clubs. The D.C. police held their batons, their billy clubs, in a horizontal position at all times below their waist. Now, compare that to the policing of the Black Lives Matter protests and other social justice protests. If you look at the film of that, the police always had their batons vertically, and they frequently deployed them over the heads and other body parts of even uh, peaceful protesters. The D.C. police, in this instance, treated these insurrectionists with kid gloves. It's really clear where the police sympathy lies. And you have to ask whether the D.C. police have themselves been infiltrated by Trump supporters, QAnon supporters, and other sympathizers. They clearly sympathize with these people. And my final point, it's on the CBS audio tape. that when When it came time to move the protesters off of the Capitol building and off of the Capitol grounds, the D.C. police were heard on tape, on audio, saying, now move along, boys, move on, let's move on, boys. Anthony, you are not alone in the way that you felt about that. And Amy Allison, I want to ask you your thoughts on how police showed more leniency and much less force to an event that Senate Minority Leader Chuck Schumer described as reprehensible, that they were rioters, insurrectionists, goons and thugs, and domestic terrorists. Amy Allison? Well, we can only understand, yeah, we can only understand what is happening in our country um, by adopting new lexicon. I mean, the people who stormed the Capitol are terrorists and attempted a coup fueled by white supremacy. And um, I don't know about you, but I felt... um, toward the end of the night when watching Congress reconvene that the essential danger and issue about the complicity of uh, uh, Holly, Senator Holly and uh, Cruz about the over a hundred uh, house members that were complicit in what happened, you know, that people were, you know, kind of going back to normal uh, to what the speaker said, Oh, Hey, boys will be boys. A kind of not acknowledging that this terrorist um, attack really um, signals danger in that uh, uh, overwhelmingly this morning, uh, yesterday and this morning seems to be very little consequence uh, for the seriousness of the act. And, you know, we, we, we study history, we, we, you know, 1930s Germany and other places where we say, you know, how could people allow um, the march toward totalitarianism or to take over white supremacy? And this is how, by no consequence. So, I think the, the, the way that uh, this whole country should be responding, those who are demanding consequence, is to really follow the lead of some of the women who are relatively new in Congress, but have the best plan to address dec- uh, directly address the sedition uh, that's, that's happening both within the halls of Congress, both within the police force in terms of their complicity, as well as the individuals who participated in the terrorist act yesterday. And that is you know, um, a series of actions that need to happen today, 25th Amendment to remove the president. Uh, Cori Bush, the uh, newly sworn in congresswoman from Ferguson, uh, Missouri, has uh, legislation to sanction House members, including those from California who voted in support. Um, You know, I think there's a whole series of steps to directly address sedition. Otherwise, what's happening is a, a message 
um, to those people who use violent means and use uh, to in order to enforce white supremacy, that um, they can continue. And we heard very clearly um, in all the hours I watched cable TV, we heard directly from the reporters I had been talking to them and them themselves that uh, this is only the beginning. So we are in such a dangerous period right now and we can't afford to use language that doesn't describe what's, what's actually happening. Um, I, you know, I agree. I think um, the Capitol Police, uh, as well as the slow response of the National Guard, all that must be investigated, but we need to be realistic about what's really happening. The thing is, um, we have to face the fact that there are sympathizers within our police force, and that changes how we think about public safety, our elected official safety, and our community safety. Well, Michael tweets, Capitol Police shot a young woman, an Air Force veteran dead. How was that kid glove treatment? Maurice Lagos, what do we know about the speed with which people were mobilized? There were some talk about attempts to try to get the National Guard, which were called in immediately with Black Lives Matter protests in June. What's behind what was the slow response? I mean, Capitol Police, the, the chief is saying, and, and I think it is important. I know our caller kept referring to D.C. police. These are Capitol Police. They're overseen by Congress. It is his own agency. It is well funded and right. uh, has responsibility for the Capitol. Um, I think D.C. police actually have probably done a better job at a lot of the things they've done, although obviously we've seen some horrific things unfold in Washington, D.C. with, you know, like the Lafayette Square attack on Black Lives Matters protesters as Trump, you know, walked across to pose for that photo op. Um, those were largely federal agents. I mean, to your question, Mina, I think the, the, the real issue isn't how fast did the National Guard get there once they were called up, but why weren't they called up or why wasn't there more preparation? Why wasn't there more understanding uh, ahead of time, given how much of this was planned in broad daylight on social media and other places online? This wasn't, you know, George Gascon pointed out, you didn't need special intelligence to understand what was being called for here and what the president said just that morning um, in addressing this group. So I think I think it's, it's almost um, twofold you know, in terms of why wasn't there a bigger contingency plan for something like this, um, preventing people from getting, you know, breaching the Capitol steps at all. And then to Amy's point, I mean, one of the bigger policing issues we need to look at that we've been talking about for the last few years, but you know, at the end of the day in, in the United States of America, the first police agencies were slave patrols. <laughs> and we have um, a very deep history of racism within law enforcement. That is not to say everybody in law enforcement is racist at all, but I do think that it is often viewed very differently when you have a group of largely white sort of right wing protesters than when you have left wing protesters. And um, I talked to Brian Levin, an extremism expert yesterday about this, and he agreed that, you know, times of transition are always when we see these types of violent acts. And so just from a broad historic perspective, it shouldn't have been a surprise to any law enforcement. Um, and of course, DC is the seat of our federal government. There's plenty of law enforcement there to go around. Well, Terry's writes, yesterday's events must result in prosecutions of the seditionists and either the removal of the president by the 25th Amendment or by impeachment. Anything less is white privilege and injustice, plain and simple. We black Americans are used to this, though. When we play by the rules and win, such as the elections in Georgia, white America becomes apoplectic and unhinged. Jessica Levinson, this mentioning of the 25th Amendment impeachment 
So let's talk about this. I mean, these are being raised by Democratic lawmakers, especially. I mean, what does it take to trigger the 25th Amendment, for example? And between the 25th Amendment and impeachment, what is a more likely and even efficient or possible process here if people do get behind the idea that the president should no longer be in power? Uh, door number three, none of the above. Um, so we can certainly talk about, you know, we, these are really nuclear options when it comes to our Constitution. Talking about using Section 4 of the 25th Amendment, which would allow us to involuntarily remove a president from power. We've never done this in our nation's history. Uh, impeachment, we have rarely done. Of course, it feels like 100,000 years ago, but we actually did already live through an impeachment of President Trump. So to answer your question, under the 25th Amendment, Section 4, what we would need is for the vice president and a majority of the 16-member cabinet to agree that the president of the United States is unable to fulfill the powers and duties of his office. And they would have to transmit something in writing to the Senate pro tem and the Speaker of the House. At that point, we're not done yet because the president of the United States can say, no, actually, I'm just fine that would trigger Congress, if they're out of session, having to come back in session to vote, or if they're in session, having to vote within 21 days. And you would need two-thirds of both houses separately to say, we agree with you, Vice President and majority of the cabinet. In fact, the president is unable to fulfill the powers and duties of his office. And then, because why not make things more complicated, this process can go on over and over again. Now, of course, there's not really time for that with 13 days left in this term. But let's all remember, these are political actors making these assessments. There's no bright lines. Now, for impeachment, it's a different mechanism, of course. It's the House of Representatives decides that the president has engaged in high crimes or misdemeanors, and they drop articles of impeachment we all know, having lived through it, that just impeaching the president doesn't remove him from power. You still need two-thirds, 67 senators, to vote to convict. Impeachment feels at this point largely symbolic with this caveat. You could have an impeachment proceeding where the consequence is, Mr. President, you can no longer hold higher office. That would cut off at the past President Trump's ability to run for office and or raise money for office. So I get, Jessica Levinson, that the ability to do this, the kind of procedure that it would require, would make these options, as you say, none of the above, extremely unlikely. Do you think that there is a legitimate argument, though, that if there had been the time and maybe the appetite, that, that there is legitimate fear here around the president's ability to govern? I, I do, but I don't think we saw that for the first time yesterday. And of course, I'm only speaking for myself here. Uh, but this is an incredibly serious thing to do, to remove a duly elected, which is what President Trump was. He was yes. validly elected president. And uh, if you look not just at what happened yesterday, but if you look at a series of conduct, I think that you could have a very serious discussion about whether or not the president of the United States poses a national security risk. And that that really is the question, right? Unable to fulfill the powers and duties of your office means we don't think it's safe to have you in charge. And um, I don't, I wouldn't hope to utter the sentence, but I think we are, um, we're in a place where we should have had those serious conversations a while ago.
And again, Jessica Levinson is professor of law at Loyola Law School. Marisa Lagos is politics correspondent for KQED. And Amy Allison is founder of She the People, an organization elevating the political voice of women of color. We're talking about yesterday's attack on the Capitol with them and with you. Sarah in Tiburon, join us next. Hi, Sarah. Hi, thanks for taking my call. Um, I just want to say I completely agree with what everyone's been saying. You're guests on the show. And I just think we need a change of leadership at every system level away from white men and towards underrepresented groups, people of color and women, because we have been inundated for hundreds of years by this leadership style. And it's not going to change until we change the leadership all the way up. So, yeah. Sarah, thanks for that comment. TJ tweets, down here in Southern California, we're shocked that Representative Mike Garcia was one of the Republicans trying to overthrow the free, the free and fair election. How could a man who barely got into office, just 333 votes more than his opponent, take such extreme actions? It's crazy. I, I spoke a little bit with Libby Dangman earlier, Marisa Lagos, about how Republicans are responding. And, and we did hear her say that there is a split among Republicans in terms of their support, for example, of the Electoral College certification process, which several continue to oppose uh, even after yesterday's events. But at the same time, there are other efforts to even suggest that that it was Antifa and other groups involved in the violent insurrection yesterday. Yeah, so, I mean, let's be clear, on the Arizona, overturning the Arizona electoral slate, um, seven Republicans, including Mike Garcia, who was just brought up, did vote for it. I want to note that, you know, uh, Young Kim and Michelle Steele, newly elected from Orange County, may not have voted for that, but they did not vote at all. They did not vote against it. The only Republican uh, that did from California was uh, Representative Tom McClintock, who is sort of one of the most conservative members and has been pretty um, ardent in terms of like protecting the Constitution and a peaceful transfer of power. Um, so, I, you know, I think that we are seeing the sort of last gasps of this uh, Republican controlled House and some of these people who have stayed very loyal to President Trump, including the majority le or minority leader, I'm sorry, um, Kevin McCarthy. Um, and, and, you know, I think it's going to be something that if people in those districts are angry about, they need to reach out and, and tell their representatives. I mean, Garcia only won by 300 and I think 39 votes. Um, 333, yes, just 300, as that yeah. listener had mentioned. Yeah. And so you know, the fact that in a district that purple that he would still feel the need um, to essentially kind of coddle the president, you know, with his unfounded claims of these uh, fraudulent elections uh, is is sort of from a political standpoint, very interesting to me and something that, you know, I'm going to be watching. Um, but I do think that generally Republicans in California find themselves um, in a position where they either have to, you know, like what we normally see is either they're with Trump or they say nothing. And I think that um, there's going to be some uh, continued pressure from some constituents um, yes. coming out of this. But Or they also start with a common refrain uh, that is often employed also by far-right media that uh, anti-fascists oh, right. were somehow Sorry, involved. I, didn't get to I mean, are you hearing that among our California Republicans? Um, I haven't heard that specifically, but well, Shannon Grove, the leader of the state Senate, did send out a tweet that she then deleted, blaming it on Antifa. Um, I think that this is a line we're seeing, um, you know, among the fringes of the Fox News audience, definitely, and some of the more sort of right-wing conspiracy theories 
history uh, dr- driven channels and, and news outlets. And it's definitely a line uh, that supporters of Trump are trying to use to undermine uh, the arguments against them. Um, there's no proof of it. And actually, the Washington Times had to retract a story today claiming that they had identified people uh, as Antifa members. Amy Allison, can I get your reaction to the Republican response so far? Because we also did see a lot of people who were trying to say that this was it for them. They were realizing that the Republican Party really does need to change in significant ways as well. I, I, I think we need to. We're, we're benefiting this morning, the, the morning after what we saw on, unfold at the Capitol by some plain talk about what's really happening. Um, I think the behavior of the, uh, the Republican Congress and so many Congress uh, members uh, felt it was important to stand um, against the, you know, uh, basically uh, the efficacy of our democratic system and our and our vote on the heels of uh, really historic election in which more people of color, particularly black voters, but also Latino and Asian American voters in the state of Georgia turned out in record numbers in some counties higher than in uh, just the, the, the November election um, with more votes than Joe Biden and elected the first black and first Jewish uh, senator out of that state. I mean, this is remarkable and it shows the power of this multiracial um, expansion and black and uh, brown voting power. The reaction of these uh, uh, Republican congressmen against the move toward you know, a healthy multiracial democracy is a problem that's deeper and long, more long lasting than dealing with Donald Trump. Uh, I will continue to say that those who have um, stood not only with Trump, but with the, uh, the terrorists who were in uh, the Capitol yesterday, who um, are spewing, continuing to spew, spew the lies that you've mentioned, justifying this, that's where our problem is, that's where our focus should be. And um, frankly, Californians should demand consequences. It's not in the next election, it's, it's now. Uh, Mike Garcia on out that uh, they have no right to challenge uh, the foundation of uh, people of color's right to vote. More after the break. I'm Mina Kim. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. Welcome back to a special coverage from KQED Forum. I'm Mina Kim. I'm talking with Marisa Lagos, politics correspondent at KQED and co-host of KQED's political breakdown show, Jessica Levinson, professor of law at Loyola Law School and host of the podcast Passing Judgment, Amy Allison, founder of She the People, an organization elevating the political voice of women of color. And I'm talking with you, our listeners, about your reactions to the events 
of yesterday at the Capitol. 866-733-6786 is the number to call if you want to register your thoughts and also how you think we go from here, how we move forward. Again, 866-733-6786. Get in touch on Twitter or Facebook at KQED Forum or email us at forum at kqed.org. Marina writes, if Congress doesn't act now or the new administration acts after assuming office, my concern is President Trump will still voice and and agency to foment and incite his followers. A listener tweets, I watched the event unfold yesterday and I was very scared. What actionable items can we do? I've voted, protested, gave money to campaigns here and out of state, gave money to journalism. I've written to our leaders here in California. I'm feeling lost and scared. Reggie and Colma join us. Hi, Reggie. Hello. Um, I do have a comment about the um, about what happened at the Capitol building and I'm pretty shocked. Um, was really hor- horrific. I, I have never seen anything like this, you know, at all. And when I saw what they were showing on CNN when they were storming the steps, that was pretty scary. And the lady who got killed, you know, when when they identified her, you know, that she support, you know, the QAnon thing, I said, why? Why would this lady believe all this? I, I don't get it. There, there's a lot of questions I have about you know, where's the safety for the people inside the building? You know, that, you know, did did the police not care at all that these people are going to storm the cap, you know, storm the Capitol like it's a castle and take over and, you know, do do horrific things to, you know, destroy property and all that. Where Where's the law in all this? That's that's my question. Where's where's the law in all this? What what price do does Trump and Giuliani and and Trump's son pay for inciting this violence? Uh, you know why why are people of color like me always treated differently? You know by by other people or by police? You know and and all of a sudden these people storm and they're like, wow, we'll just give them a pass. Is that fair to society? Reggie, yeah, I think you're really raising. Fair. A lot of the questions that people are trying to process today, Marisa Lagos, just on the uh, the mob, the people who breached the building, do you know what further action is being taken around that? What kinds of charges or penalties people could face who were not arrested day of? Yes, I mean, the Capitol Police and federal officials have spoken out today, the acting attorney general included, um, asking people to come forward. Obviously, there are very clear pictures of many of these people, including the man, for example, who broke into uh, Nancy Pelosi's office and was photographed behind her aide's desk. So I do think that police are looking to make these arrests. I think the question people like our caller have is, why was this allowed to get to this point and and why was the the response so tepid given how aggressive we've seen across the nation largely peaceful protest of people of color uh, met um, so i do expect charges i mean we saw before the event even happened the leader of proud boys arrived in dc and was promptly arrested for uh, some prior actions but i think that um you know, clearly dozen, I think around a dozen people were arrested while hundreds were allowed to just walk out of the building. Um, it really does boggle the mind. And, and regardless of what charges are brought in the future, I think there's going to continue to be a lot of head scratching over that response. Well, Sky writes, if the security forces failed to secure the most important building in the world, they should be fired in mass, period. Grant writes, why aren't we talking about Kevin McCarthy being impeached? Of course, in addition to Trump. There has been some talk, Jessica Levinson, about grounds for expelling senators based on supporting insurrection. Is that 
realistic at all? That also sounds like quite a major step. It's a major step, and I don't think it's a realistic one. And I say that not necessarily because legally we're not there, but because politically we're not there. That we have seen so many instances during the last four years where I think we've asked ourselves, is this the moment? And I'm, or I should say, I've asked myself, is this the moment where Republicans will abandon the president? Or is this the moment where Republicans will say enough? And the answer has been no time and time again. Now that we're looking at the finish line to this term, I don't think that we're going to see these very, very serious steps taken against senators to expel them, to reprimand them, to censor them, to, um, you know, to bring in laws that are, again, kind of nuclear options like the Sedition Act. Uh, I think instead what will come to bear is enormous political pressure. Uh, and we, st we saw that with respect to Senator Mitch McConnell's speech yesterday, which essentially, again, torched President Trump's arguments about the election. Election and uh, torched his lies and falsehoods and conspiracy theories about the election. So I think we'll see more of that, not really the legal roots, um, again, just because of lack of political will. Well, David tweets, the whole morning I keep hearing congressmen saying that Trump should be impeached, but it's easy for them to say that when they're now out of session. Why is that? Cheap courage when you're in recess. Where are Pelosi and Schumer on this? And Atomic tweets something similar. It's more of my reaction to what Congress did at 3 a.m. this morning. Recess. Seriously? You've just had your existence threatened and you take a few days off. There's the people's business to be done in the next week, impeachment. Amy Allison, what do you think about, I mean, initially there was an effort to try to say, okay, this mob is not going to stop us from certifying a duly elected president, but there's now questions also around the fact that they have taken recess. What does that communicate to you? So, I mean, did, did anyone else feel gaslit by watching uh, the proceedings last night? Because I, I sure did. I was like, look, uh, one of the terrorists was shot and killed. Uh, you know, if you've ever been in the in the in, in these uh, buildings, they're like libraries. You have so much respect, and you're quiet. Your voice is down. That has been desecrated, and yet we're acting like everything is is normal. Um, I am very disappointed that there's not more political will. The way that I understand it is, and when I first joined the show, I said, "Look, if you want to see what to do and who to support, look at the um, the legislation coming from." Uh, Congresswoman Cori Bush out of Missouri, look at the legislation coming from Ilhan Omar, look at what Rashida Tlaib, uh, the Congresswoman out of Michigan, or the Congresswoman out of uh, Massachusetts, Ayanna Presley, what they're saying, because they have uh, the suite of, of uh, both legislative and they're demonstrating a political will that we are not seeing with um, with the Pelosi's and the Schumer's, with uh, people who have been in office, that they're not they, their response to what has happened does not measure up to the seriousness of the threat that we not only just we faced yesterday, but we have so many unanswered questions and there have been no significant consequences that we still continue to face the threat uh, now. And um, so I'm calling for, uh, you know, uh, the kind of political will that we need. It's the kind of courage that we are, uh, courage and sort of focus um, we cannot just wait out the clock. I mean, uh, um, the fact that we're uh, the inaugurations happening in a couple of weeks, we can't that it's not like the um, seditious Congress uh, members, as well as the 70 million who supported Trump, as well as the thousand or so who, who were in the, they're, they're not going to disappear. Mm -hmm. And that political dynamic and the danger of that can't be understood 
in um, and we cannot respond to it in this kind of measured. Well, I don't know, we, we can get done. This is the kind of thing that got us to this point. So, you know, in 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 a word, we have got to figure out um, how the political will comes from us, the people um, uh, who are demanding um, and su- demanding uh, action, but also supporting those who's who have had the courage to be very clear and focused in this moment. Let me go to caller Mark in Sacramento. Hi, Mark. Hi. I'm really disgusted with the national media calling this group protesters. They are not protesters. They're mentally unstable thugs egged on by a mentally unstable occupant of the White House who does not deserve to be given the title of president. He should be tried for treason the day after he leaves office on January 21st. I couldn't believe last night when I was listening to a call-in program with people calling in saying, oh, oh, they're in pain and they need help. They do not deserve our sympathy, including the woman that was killed. If she hadn't gone to D.C. and participated in this insurrection, if she'd stayed home, she'd still be alive. These people broke the law. They are criminals. They should be punished and not rewarded with stimulus checks. And it's easy to blame the police, but they probably prevented the situation from being much worse. Well, Mark, I think you are echoing comments about really thinking about our lexicon uh, in this situation. I do think it is tragic when anyone loses their life. We are joined now by Karen Bass. Congresswoman from Los Angeles. Karen Bass, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks for having me on. I mean, we are getting word right now from the Washington Post that Transportation Secretary Elaine Chao is resigning and that uh, she is citing yesterday's events as the reason in an email to colleagues. Of course, Elaine Chao is married to Mitch McConnell. We've had other resignations, including Mick Mulvaney, Trump's former chief of staff. I just want to get your reaction to this. Well, better late than never. I mean, I'm glad she's resigning, but I'm not overly impressed. I mean, this is the last 13 days of his administration. How many times does he have to do something like this? This, granted, was the worst, but this is not the first time. Well, I, I, I want to ask you where this breakdown, this kind of thing where you're saying better late than never, right? What happened yesterday? Where you think it could lead to anything remotely like a breakthrough? Well, I mean, we will see. You know, I saw former Attorney General Barr speak up, uh, having nerve to say that the president abandoned his job, which the Attorney General did the entire time he was the Attorney General. It would be wonderful. You know, how about instead of resigning, if the members of the Capitol, I mean, if the members of the cabinet did go along with the 25th Amendment. I know a number of my colleagues are calling for that. I would love to see that happen, but I am not encouraged that that would happen because Trump over these last few years has become the leader of a cult and members of his cabinet are in that cult. So I don't have the expectation that they would actually have the dignity and care about the country enough to invoke the 13th Amendment. I wish, I mean, the uh, 25th Amendment, I wish they would. So then do you think that the nation is in danger under his leadership for the next 13 days or so? And if so, what are we supposed to do about that? 
I actually think the na- the nation is in danger every day that he may that he is in the White House. And what I do hope, though, is that people that are around him that are not just you know members of his cult that are in the military and have key national security positions, I hope that they stay there and I hope that they help us survive these next 13 days. Again, the best thing to have happen would be for Vice President Pence to call the cabinet together and kick him out. I just don't have a lot of confidence that that would actually happen. They have not shown uh, much uh, dignity and commitment to our country over these last few years. So I don't know why they would now. Can you respond to listeners' frustrations that we heard uh, on this show today about Congress taking recess? Sure, I can understand. uh, Absolutely, I can understand that. We have taken recess until January 20th, but what people should understand is that when we recess as opposed to adjourn, we can come back at any point in time. So the speaker... Uh, and soon to be majority leader can call us back. Uh, Majority leader Schumer uh, can call us back on a moment's notice. You know, we get 24 hour notice and we can come right back. So if there was some way that my colleagues over in the Senate, two thirds of them might vote to uh, impeach him, I just don't see any reason to think that's gonna happen when just less than 24 hours ago, they were arguing that the election was invalid. Do you feel personally, physically safe going back? Uh, I feel safe now. Uh, And I will tell you, ironically, I told my family not to worry about me. I was going to be in the safest building in the country yesterday. I'm going to be in the Capitol. And it turned out I was in the most dangerous building uh, in the country. But I think today things are under control. Security is is in place. The barriers are up around the uh, Capitol. And it is just a real tragedy that needs to be investigated as to why this did not take place yesterday. What happened here? This is one of the most secure buildings in the country until it wasn't. Karen Bass, Democratic Congresswoman representing California's 33rd District, a member of the House Budget Committee. Thanks so much for talking with us. Thank you. Lori writes, accountability for the horrific events of yesterday goes to many. Trump, his congressional supporters, his cult-like followers, the media who fueled the ego of a megalomaniac, social media who gave him a pulpit to voice lie upon lie, and all those who shrugged off his actions that it's just who he is. Their response to yesterday should be swift and aggressive removal of him from office. Anything less sends a horrifying message to the world of our gutless ineptness and inability to appropriately act against a tyrant who instigated a coup. Stewart writes, though it is certainly unlikely that two-thirds of both houses of the legislature would vote for removal of Trump from office, it is also true that from the moment the cabinet and vice president deliver their letter to Congress, the president is stripped of his executive powers pending a final decision. This effectively would tie the president's hands through January. January 20th. Jessica Levinson, is that true? So sorry, I lost the audio for the last 20 seconds. Could I have the last part of the question? Uh, Stuart writes that basically, the moment the cabinet and VP deliver their letter to Congress, the president is stripped of his executive powers pending a final decision. This effectively would tie the president's hands through January 20th. Is that true? Not necessarily. It's a great question. So the answer is, and I'm sorry about the audio, that there is an unprecedented time here when it comes to trying to invoke the 25th Amendment, Section 4. So what you would be looking at here is the president is indeed immediately stripped of his duties 
unless he says, no, I'm okay. And we suspect that he would. The wording of the 25th Amendment is not 100% clear, but I think the best wording is that if within four days, the vice president and members of the cabinet say, no, you're really not, that it's the vice president who is in fact in charge. But remember, we can still, we're still not necessarily running out the 13 day clock here. What we could have is a very quick vote by Congress. We just saw Congresswoman Bass say, we're in recess, we haven't been adjourned, we could come back quickly. And so arguably you can't actually run out the clock on this administration just by invoking the 25th if the House and the Senate wanna act quickly. It would certainly remove President Trump, I think from power for at least a few days, probably a week, probably half of his remaining term, but not necessarily all of it. And again, Jessica Levinson is a professor of law at Loyola Law School, host of the podcast Passing Judgment. Maurice Lagos, politics correspondent from KQED, is with us. Amy Allison, founder of She the People, an, organi- an organization elevating the political voice of women of color, is also with us as well. Patricia tweets, this needs to be dealt with or else traitorous and seditious actions will just be the norm in this country. I've seen all of this in banana republics. I'm just wondering when other governments are going to storm our shores because we don't know how to govern ourselves. And tweets, the sympathetic tone I'm hearing from reporters on KQED about the woman who was shot is appalling. This woman was a radicalized domestic terrorist attempting a coup, period. Charles writes, the events at the Capitol certainly are at the forefront of an attempt to disenfranchise the majority of voting citizens. What also needs to be addressed is the voters suppression efforts in many states that seek to accomplish the same goal of disenfranchisement. Look at the response of the Georgia legislature and secretary of state that are making efforts to limit voting in their state as a response to losing the Senate elections. Amy Allison, we have 30 seconds, lots of feelings, lots of emotions. Where do we go from here? I mean, you're you're justified if you feel furious um, at the, the failures, at the lies, and what has culminated and the extent that we can both de- continue to focus and demand accountability for law enforcement, for the seditious members of Congress, and for those individuals who have participated, that's what we need to do right now. Looking forward, we must demand that the Biden-Harris administration and the democratically controlled House and Senate... We have, have to a- leave it there. Thank you. This is Forum. Funds for the production of Forum are provided by the members of KQED Public Radio and the Germanicos Foundation and the Generosity Foundation. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. 
All over the country, we need to improve reading in Wisconsin. Schools are changing the way they teach reading. I'm calling for a renewed focus on literacy. We have gotten this wrong in New York and all across the nation. And it's happening because of a podcast. I think your podcast has changed my life. And I'm going to share this podcast with everyone I meet. Sold a Story investigates how teaching kids to read went wrong. New episodes of Sold a Story are available now.